1: You're
2: English listening so to
0: content
2: content such A, <laughs> <laughs> a Mamma Mia podcast Mamma Mia Out
0: Loud. Welcome, welcome to Mamma Mia Out Loud It's what women are talking about three times a week I'm Jessie Stevens. I'm Mia Friedman And I'm Holly Wainwright And I'm back from a week's leave when I moved house And I have some housekeeping I have some things I need to talk to you two about Bring it because I listened to every show while I was unpacking and walking the dog last week, and the guest hosts were amazing Norelda, Fauzia, Susan, amazing. You too, you sound sad. <laughs> you sound depressed. I was veering between wanting to hug you and wanting to shake you just a little bit. I was like, That's on brand for me. I don't know why you're shocked I, by that. I know, but I was like, Jesse. I know you're struggling and the least helpful thing to say to anyone who's struggling is cheer up, but cheer the fuck up, Jessie. It's been – it was three days and you were already losing your shit.
1: Now I feel angry. I know. I knew you Now would. I feel angry at you and, in fact, your fans.
0: I want to just – I knew you would. And it's part, I yeah. wanted us to all feel, you know, together again, like we normally well, do. Well, you know that I'm just an
2: absolute sponge and a bendable reed. And when you're here, I will lift to meet your sparkle. And when it's just me and Jesse, I tried to sparkle. Just that was me <laughs> on sparkle downward
0: spiral. I get it, Jesse, but I kept being like, "It's been three days. This is the first show. <laughs> it had been three days." I'm like, "Do you realise that a lot of people have done this a lot longer?" And then by the end of the week, I'd stopped feeling like shaking, and I just wanted to give you big hugs. So anyway, virtual hugs from my cupboard on the south coast. Virtual hugs. The other thing of housekeeping is on Friday's show, you did not talk about the Princess Diana statue. And I was like, please, somebody talk about Princess Diana's belt. Can we just have a moment to recognise that when Prince Harry flew all the way across the Atlantic to unveil a statue of his late mother on her what would have been her 60th birthday, the sculptor chose the most ugliest outfit that he could from all of Princess Diana's amazing fashion moments to put it in and if I was Harry I would have said no I'm not doing that. I've never seen that belt like I know her wardrobe pretty well I don't think
2: she ever wore that. What's belt.
1: wrong with the belt because I haven't even clicked on this can oh someone my describe God. the belt to It is to all me? you
2: can
0: see is this big ugly wide 80s belt. Around the waist or around the around hips? Around the waist it's a it's a feature belt. So it's like, we'll put a picture on the Outlouders um, it's a Instagram. a feature belt. But it's a yes, feature please. belt. So it's like if you were going to craft a sculpture of one of the most famous women in the world and you'd think, what do I want people to notice? What do I want them to take away from uh-huh. this? It wouldn't be <laughs> a bedazzled beaded <laughs> belt the size of a small dog's head. That's needed to be talked about. And the last thing that I need to get off my chest is to do with my move. Some people say Ikea furniture is Lego for grown-ups. I say that it's actually the seventh circle of hell. We have been, we're still building it. We've been here eight days and my house is just awash with Allen keys. Like you can barely open a door. There's just (laughs) Allen keys and cursing people and bits of flat packs everywhere and go to hell, Ikea. That's what I have to say. I'm so sorry, IKEA. I do love you for your affordability and your stylish solutions to storage challenged homes, but building them, punish. Not
1: on, not on. Anyway,
0: that's it. I've got that off my chest. So on the show today, an Olympian has been banned from the games for using a non-performance-enhancing drug. Is that fair enough or outdated judgment? And is cellulite and giving a toss about cellulite truly a thing of the past? But first, Jessie Stevens, over to you. I have a bee in my bonnet. Not a surprise! I feel cranky.
1: I feel my sadness has moved to anger, and I am going through the stages of grief. I'd like to have a quick rant, if you'll both allow me. You might have seen, for anyone who's not in Sydney, I think Sydney siders will know exactly what I'm talking about. And in fact, I think Melbourne had sort of their own versions of this. But obviously, we're in in lockdown. And there are images all over my feeds, but not only friends and acquaintances, but media outlets going, Sydney in lockdown, thousands of people on Bondi Beach. It's like one of their favourite sort of tropes is just like, people breaking lockdown. Everyone's a rule breaker. I remember this from
0: last year. It's a big genre, isn't it?
1: It gets people really angry. Great for engagement. And that's why they do it, because lots of people comment. And There are two camps in Sydney at the moment, which I think we discovered through our editors meeting this morning. There are people who are really shitty about the rule breakers, and there are people who are going, you know what, we're tired, I'm actually going to go quite gentle on them. So we're in lockdown, but this shaming of people, the vast majority of whom, if you look closely, are actually abiding by the rules, is ridiculously unhelpful. So, we know which camp you're in. Most notably, notably, the lockdown, I think this needs to be said, in Sydney right now is different to what it was in Easter last year. It's different because there's no radius.
2: It's also different to Melbourne. We should just acknowledge this, as we probably should all the time. It's easier. It is. Our lockdown law isn't as long. Oh, my God. Yes. Restrictions
1: are not as tight. So, Melbourne, you win lockdown. Victoria, you win lockdown. You win hardship. so we don't have a radius and we also don't have restrictions around you Like you can go for a walk with a friend um, or friends. Up to 10, 10 if you're exercising, up yes. to 10 friends. If you have 10 friends. Exactly right. And so over the weekend, you could have conceivably travelled 45 minutes into Bondi to do the Bondi to Kuji walk if that's what you felt like doing and you weren't breaking any rules. Now, my mate, who I've talked about before, works for Sky News, um, she was at a press conference. She's been at this press conference every single day with Gladys. And she was saying to me on the weekend, there is yet to be a case of someone contracting COVID outdoors on a walk. It's one of the safest places you can be. Also, you've got to consider how many thousands of Sydney siders would ordinarily be in a gym. Right? So a lot of people are like, oh, look at everyone taking up running. Look at everyone walking their dogs. So many people go to the gym every day mm. and you're seeing them out in the wild because they can't go to the gym.
2: And also every men- every mental health thing says, go outside. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Gladys Get told us, fresh didn't air.
2: she? Susan Carlin told us, and she's a doctor. Yes, And she said disclaimer, she's not a medical doctor, say, and she's, uh, <laughs> what kind of doctor. She's not a, she a, <laughs> a, a medical one, doctor, Jolly. but still, she's an expert because she's done lockdown in and Melbourne. Well, and she said, you know, when it comes to mental health, getting out every day, everyone says this. And also, um, Gladys told us to. Like, yeah. I was listening to Gladys's press conference on Friday and on Saturday, and she said,
0: don't go to shopping centres. Yep. Don't go to Bunnings, please. Go outdoors, it, go to exactly. the park. It also needs, needs to be acknowledged that Sydney is a big built-up city and not everyone has a garden. So certainly where I was living until one week ago, if you wanted to go and exercise outside or even just sit outside and get some sun on your face, you had to go out into the public world.
1: Exactly right. And you know what? If two people sit down for a chat in my local park or a parent stands there while the, their kids kick a ball on school holidays, fine. Fine. That is not the hill I'm willing to die on. They're not who I'm mad at and I think our anger at this point is seriously misdirected. Because while we're bunkering down, sacrificing years of our lives, yes, I'm getting a bit hyperbolic, but I'm not in a good mood. It's
0: not been years, darling. It's been a week. (laughs) No.
1: Feels like years. It has been years.
0: It has been a year and a
1: half. (laughs) Sacrificing our lives. Unable Mm -hmm. to see our relatives overseas. Well, that's true. Missing out on weddings and births and all the rest, COVID is getting into aged care homes Mm -hmm. where two thirds of those workers were unvaccinated. That only became mandatory last Monday, which we now know was too late. It's like we're pushing this boulder up a hill and it keeps rolling down and hitting us in the face, and it is not our fault. It is crappy hotel quarantine and aged care facilities. And who cares if you spent Sunday in a park? Rant? <laughs> finished? Any comments? I'll be taking comments.
0: I agree with you, Jesse. You'll be happy to hear. I very much agree with you that it's not the people sitting in a park. I mean, when I was listening to the show last week, I was having all these flashbacks to last year and how irrationally angry i used to get about people complaining about lockdown who didn't have small children at home who needed to be entertained 24/7 and i know mm-hmm. that that's a unreasonable position because everybody's challenges are different but going outside if you're living in a city and you're going outside to maybe meet up with some friends so your kids can run around together and play ball and you can all sit a meter apart and maybe even have a glass of wine and a takeaway cup To save your sanity, that is crucial. However, I think that the anger here, and I've heard heaps of anger about this today from different corners, is that at the end of the day, there has to be a consensus about what stay at home means. And I think that there are two types of people, as in there are those who like to follow a rule to the letter and get furious when they see anybody who might be like bending a little bit because is sitting in a park, having a glass of wine in a plastic cup while your kid kicks football, exercising with 10 friends. No. Is it going to make this situation a whole lot worse? Probably not. But is it a slippery slope? And I think that one of the issues with this, and, and I very much agree with you on a personal level, Jesse, is that I'm kind of like, use your common sense, do the right mm. thing, but do what you th- you believe to be reasonable. But I think that there has to be a consensus about what is allowed to happen and what isn't, because otherwise it feels like we're all just splashing around in this muddy pit you know and I think so I kind of can see both sides I can see why the angry people are angry because they're like I'm not going outside and sitting in a park how dare you if we're locked down for Mm. another week it'll be your fault but then the other people are like mate this is not going to be the thing that stops it. But you know do you
2: remember that fabulous press conference one of the highlights of of last year's lockdown when Mark McGowan, and the Premier of West Australia gave that presser and he was asked, you know, if someone has a hamburger and sits on a bench, it was a kebab, but yes. they're pregnant. Yeah, you know, do you remember that? If they were
1: and running and then they had a kebab and then they sat down, and but if be pregnant because
2: someone had been fined for eating a kebab, and so he was laughing, and it was actually very funny. And Gladys has said the same hole, so I'm going to disagree with you there in terms about we need a consensus. Gladys has said, look. We can spend 100 years drafting every single point. You can't draft for every scenario. We're asking the people of New South Wales and of Sydney to just be sensible, just be sensible. You know what I mean? Do I have to say, no, you cannot eat a kebab on a bench? She's like, just if you're come, feeling on, like come on, faint. But what was funny today is in today's press, that the police minister in New South Wales said that there had been over 1,000 people ring and report other people about breaking COVID restrictions, 500 of those calls had been to crime stores. Oh. <laughs> and I thought, Jesse, you need to do a True Crime Conversations <laughs> about someone who is on a walk with a person and they were
1: only one metre apart. Well, I do want to say, and I, I do want to make this point, that going for a walk and pressing the rules and bending them a little bit that way is one thing. If you're having 15 people in your house right now, I am not defending you. Oh, that no. is that is that is not on. And this is the thing. I think by this point we know how it spreads and we know, you know, that we, we can make some logical assumptions about that. And there are people who are going shopping without masks on. Super annoying. You're breaking the law. Also having people over in your house, all of that, not for that. But I'm just talking about the person taking a picture of Bondi Beach being like, why is everyone out? Yeah. And it's like, you're out. Exactly.
0: Where are you taking this picture from? Your basement? Yeah. Oh, no. Exactly. I'm calling Crime Stoppers. I've moved out of Sydney to an area that is not in lockdown at the moment, but me and my family are observing lockdown because we came from Sydney. I just want to say that because I think that one of the keys to all this stuff and why everyone gets so angry is that we know that in a way, shaming people has power in this situation. And someone said to me yesterday at a socially distanced, in a socially distanced situation outside a shop, no one wants to be that person, and especially not in a small town. No one wants to be that person who didn't do the right thing. So I need to just put my disclaimer on that my family are, are currently in lockdown too. Mother Mia out loud! I find it hard to believe someone's going for a
2: run and then stop to have a kebab. But um, in, any, in any event, I don't think there's anything wrong. Right. <laughs> We're not... We're not making it unlawful to go for a run and eat a kebab.
0: MOVE by Mamma Mia is the
2: exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to MOVE and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, Head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get
1: $10 off a yearly subscription.
0: So, the Olympics is still a thing, apparently. It is still kicking off in about three weeks in Japan. And one of its biggest American names has just been banned from competing in at least some of her races, not for taking performance enhancing drugs, but for taking marijuana. Her name is Shakari Richardson. She's 21 and she's a big deal for the USA this year. She's a sprinter and we know that sprinters are always like the rock stars. And she is super charismatic. She's got the long hair and the long nails and she's one of the fastest women in the world. In fact, she's the sixth fastest woman in the world. And so everybody was like, she is going to nail it this year at the Olympics. But a drugs test at Olympic trials showed that she had traces of THC in her system, which is um, the active ingredient of cannabis. So she's been suspended from competing in some of the events of Tokyo. So some of them her, her ban will be finished for, and it's still not clear whether or not they'll allow her to join the team. But some she is definitely out. Now, Richardson herself makes no excuse for taking marijuana. She said, I know what I did. I know what I'm supposed to do. I still made that decision. It turns out that Richardson was grieving the loss of her mother at the time. She was mostly raised by a grandma, who's almost always at her races, cheering her along. And it was actually a reporter who told her about the death of her birth mom. During an interview about it, she said she found this information from the reporter triggering and upsetting I was just trying to hide my pain, she said. I'm not making an excuse or looking for empathy in my case. However, being in that position in my life, finding out something like that, dealing with the relationship I have with my mother, that definitely was a very heavy topic on me. Now, it's also important to note that the state where Richardson tested positive, Oregon, on the west coast of America, she was not doing anything illegal when she either smoked or ate or whatever, took the cannabis. There, marijuana is legal. But it is a banned substance by the World Anti-Doping Agency. Now, it's interesting to note that the World Anti-Doping Agency actually changed the rules not that long ago after the London Olympics about how much cannabis could be in your system because they were saying, we're not really trying to penalise athletes who may have used marijuana recreationally in the weeks or months before they started competing. But once you're competing, absolutely not. There's divided opinion from athletes about whether or not this is okay. Quite a few. Michael Johnson, very famous American sprinter, says, I know how it feels to lose a parent. It's indescribable pain. I'm from the same neighbourhood as Richardson. It's a tough place. I wish people would stop calling her stupid unless you know the reason. Other people have said rules are rules. She broke the rules. She's out. What do we think?
2: I can't imagine that marijuana would make you run any faster.
1: It's not performance enhancing. No.
2: So then why... I mean, not that I know a lot about drugs and sport, but it's not performance enhancing. I don't know. There I do know what I think about
1: this. There are three reasons why a drug is on is banned, right? And performance enhancing is only one of them. I love it when Jesse's our
0: sports correspondent, my favourite.
1: <laughs> one of them is that it's not in the spirit of the sport and the other one I think is to do with like it's illegal or something. And so this had to have hit two of them. There is actually an argument that this could have been performance enhancing. So there are some studies that have come out that have said, okay, let's say Richardson and someone else lost their mum on the same day. Richardson went, this is what I'm going to use to cope. And it calmed her down. It focused her. It relaxed her. It meant she could sleep, for example. And athlete B didn't. And maybe they spiraled and maybe they didn't sleep and maybe that affected their performance. So there are some arguments that it could have been enhancing. Look, I think the rule is dumb. The rule is dumb because from how I see it, when I think about banned substances, it's you're looking at steroids, you're looking at anything that makes you stronger faster. And objectively, I mean, marijuana doesn't do that. Um, And you're talking... Maybe
2: in some sports though, I was thinking, like say in shooting, I don't know. Is that a sport? I think it is. Archery, yes. You need to, like adrenaline and nerves mm. and anxiety might make you shake you with your hand and maybe marijuana might calm you down.
1: It could, exactly. And I think that this thing about it not being in the spirit of the sport, interestingly, for example, in Tokyo- but What does the spirit of a sport mean? Well, in Japan, where she's going, marijuana is illegal. Right. So, So she's going there and she smoked this substance. Of course, that's not the reason that, she's been banned but the fact that she knew that it was a banned substance she knew exactly what was going to happen she has claimed she has stood there and said basically i did a dumb thing please don't judge me here's the reasoning behind it and i do not judge her for a moment like i completely understand but at the same time rules are rules you can't be making exceptions for particular people I think in five or ten years this rule will be changed because I think it's a silly rule. I think that it's a hangover from war on drugs sort of morality. I think this is a morality rule but you just don't want athletes smoking weed and I think that's silly.
0: Exactly because, I mean, of course rules are rules but I also think when you read a little bit about um, Richardson's story and listen to things like what Michael Johnson was saying, this opportunity, this amazing opportunity for this woman – um, you know, who's come from a difficult place, who's probably had all kinds of barriers to get where she's going and she's got this amazing talent and this amazing commitment. Like nobody gets that fast without so much commitment, so much training, so much discipline, all of those things. And I know that the argument is, well, yeah, well, she wasted that and that's her fault, but it just seems so devastating and unhelpful. I just don't know
1: who it, it, does. Who and it helps.
0: But, but to me,
2: this throws up the whole flaw in high-performance elite sport because say she'd sprained her ankle. It's it's like your whole life, depending on this one moment, like a million things could have happened. Mm. Her mum passing away, even if she hadn't had the drug, could have affected her performance. So we talk about students and, and we say, you know, it's not just about your exams at the end of year 12. It's about so much more than that. For high-performance athletes, it is about that one race, that one moment. The, particularly if they're focused on Olympic glory, which which mm. they are, and that's got to be a a head scramble. But that's what whether, makes you know it what I mean. Whether so you get to disqualified, or whether you, yeah, I suppose you're right. The I suppose that's are so that's high. what it is. The what stakes things, yeah. are so high; it feels like cruel and unusual punishment. But I guess. That's what people are attracted to. Exactly, the possibility so much can go wrong.
1: that the best person can choke, like the yes. watching Michael Phelps win a hundred gold medals. So
2: you're saying it's not a flaw; it's a feature.
1: Oh, absolutely, yeah, right. And that's why it's so compelling. But I think that this story is more broadly about what we do with the problem slash subject of marijuana. Yeah, and its I legalization,
0: think... right? Because yes, in lo- lots of states in the U.S., it's now legal. So. You know, if it's legal here and it's illegal there and it's it's so murky, it's got to be readdressed.
1: Exactly. And I think we need to decide as a culture where we stand. And I think that once we do, that will change with the, you know, doping agency because they can't keep up as well with particular performance enhancing drugs. There are new enhancements being made every day that are impossible to pick up on a test. That, I mean waiter, I think it is, they do an incredible job at, you know, getting certain people, but their hands were tied in this situation. There was nothing they, they could do. It's really unfortunate. It's really sad. So is she going or not? No. So she um, can't compete in her events. She was a likely gold medalist. Oh wow. Yeah. Um, she might compete in the relay. I wish that she had people around her on that night, on that day for that week afterwards mm. that said, don't, Blow this. I know it's crap. I know it's a horrible time, but just don't do anything reckless. Cellulite is
2: not a topic you're usually seeing covered in the Wall Street Journal, but a few people sent me an article that appeared over the weekend that was called Is This the End of Cellulite? And it went on to say that new treatments claim to offer fixes for a long standing. Beauty gripe, but do they really work? And as our attitudes towards cellulite change, do we really care? It felt a little bit like Back to the Future because a few years ago, Mamma Mia published a really great article about how cellulite was basically invented to make money out of women's insecurities. So before the 70s in America, cellulite didn't exist, it was just like a different patch of skin on your body or a different part of your appearance. And in 1972, there was an American beautician who had spent time living in France. And in France, since the 1920s, they had named this sort of dimpled area of flesh, called it cellulite, and then told women that it was unsightly and they needed to try to get rid of it using various expensive treatments and creams. She basically decided to import that insecurity and that industry into America, And then it caught on in Australia and now a natural part of the way women's bodies appear, you know, it's basically the way fat gathers under the skin and it's a completely normal part of being a woman because women's bodies have fat accumulate in areas around the hips and thighs and stomach that men don't because they don't have to make babies. So this industry has existed in America and in Australia ever since the 70s. But the point of this Wall Street Journal article is that now that you know you can't really walk past a salon that doesn't talk about freezing your fat, removing cellulite, and even though it shows up in approximately 90% of adult women across all ethnicities, by 2026, the market for how to eliminate your cellulite is going to reach $2.8 billion American dollars, which is over $5 billion Australian dollars.
1: So, Jessie, have you got cellulite and do you care? So much. Mm-hmm. What I love about my cellulite is that it's on the back of my body yeah. so I can't really see it. It's true. If, um, if you don't
0: seek out your cellulite,
1: it's not there. But you know <laughs> what, Holly? I was reading one of these magazines from the 70s and it actually said to you, it instructed women to get their thumb and their forefinger Mm. and squeeze their skin together to check if there's cellulite. And I'm like, well, of course you're going to have dimples. But look.
2: I can make cellulite on my arm if I do that. Oh,
1: I can make cellulite pretty much Mm. anywhere on my body when Mm. I do that. It's a special skill. Exactly. Mm. And it's not just those invasive treatments. It's also creams, all these topical things that you get, that you see everywhere that's like this will remove cellulite. Of course it can't. And that's not even really the point. But what I find interesting is that this is coming at a point when self-love and body love and body positivity is also at sort of an all-time high or so we're led to believe. So there's lots of people on Instagram, for example, and I love seeing this, women of all sizes, ethnicities, ages, going, check out my cellulite, check out how I jiggle. That wasn't happening in the 70s. However, what I struggle with is that the self-love, body love movement is being co-opted by the language of self-love is spending money getting rid of your cellulite. And that's annoying me. I think it's the same with like Botox Mm. and anything imperfect. And I'm seeing this in headlines. I'm seeing it in the way that it's marketed, which is if you love your body, invest in it it's because you're worth it. Like it's the same thing, right? And I think that it's this trend of co-opting that language that we've used to reject these treatments to then be like, but if you truly love yourself, if you're truly body positive, then do this to get rid of blah. And what I found interesting too is I was reading this thing recently that was saying... We do not see things we don't have a name for. So for example, if you're walking around in nature and you don't know what the name of that bush is or that leaf is, you actually don't see it properly. It's not how the brain works. You go tree, grass, leaf. You can't kind of Mm. distinguish. And that's the thing about cellulite. It's the thing about arm things, thigh gap, Mm. all these things that we- Turkey neck. Turkey neck. We make them up and suddenly they're visible. Like it was literally invisible 100 years ago because we had no language for it and therefore it just was. So it was a you know exact thing that marketing does, which is invent a problem and then market you the solution and then take all our money. Holly, what do you think?
0: I think that it's interesting that as we develop a science in inverted commas, develops all these new ways to fix in inverted commas, the things that are wrong in inverted commas with us, It then becomes a bit of a judgment and a statement about how privileged you are, how high up your priority list, your appearance is, whether or not you have it. So if we now have treatments that can get rid of cellulite, but you choose not to have them or you can't afford to have them or you don't have time to have them or you don't have access to them, that says something about you in the same way that I think in our current skincare obsessed world, there's status in having like a shiny, plump, smooth face I think it's interesting that as you kind of invent all these things to get rid of stuff, what it says about you if you choose not to do it. You know how we often talk about Botox and whether if you choose not to do it, if you choose to be no-bo, as we say, it's almost a statement. It shouldn't be really. It shouldn't be a statement to erase all the perceived imperfections on yourself. If you you could take a pill tomorrow
1: to get rid of all the cellulite on your body would you take it?
0: I don't care about my cellulite like it is not high up on my list of things to give a toss about like I don't Mm. I think there's no question that there is something confronting as you age when sometimes you look down at your shoulder or your décotelage and it suddenly looks a bit like your nan's and you're like oh that's me uh, I am changing, my skin is changing, my body is changing. And then you do have to make some kind of judgment calls depending on your resources, obviously. How much do I care about that? Am I going to try and fix it? Mm. Cellulite is so far down that list. However, if I got around in a bikini all the time with a load of Instagram models, it would probably be quite high up on my list. I don't care about it at all. Like you, Jesse, I love seeing the women on Instagram who are showing stretch marks, cellulite, wobbly arms it's like the more we can normalize 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 and we don't feel like we have to be fixed all the time the better mm. equally if you want to go hard you know but it's kind of funny you think of all the problems to solve why that one you know it's recommendations time and i know we're doing a few extra recommendations at the moment because for the people in the country who are in lockdown you might want some things to listen to. So, I'm going to go first today on my outdoor exercising walk this morning. I listened to the quickie, which I do every morning if I can. And it was a really good episode that I would love everybody to listen to. It's NADOC week this week. And the theme of NADOC week is healing country, healing traditional lands. And today's quickie is about the Maralinga tests, which were carried out in remote South Australia in the 1950s by the British government when they tested basically a whole lot of atomic weaponry bombs on this, what they perceived as unoccupied country and the fallout from that, quite literally. I just think that this episode of The Quickie, like they always do an amazing job, that team, but they've got some incredible talent on there from mm. traditional owners to a man who was involved in the first test who now is obviously an elderly man who was involved in kind of whistleblowing and raising the flag about what what went on afterwards. Uh, there are stories from people who family members had gone on to country after the tests had happened and what happened to them. It's just fascinating. And it's it's such another shameful, really, chapter in Australia's history, but it's so relevant um, in terms of this week's theme for NAIDOC Week. So I recommend that you listen to this morning's quickie, if you can, about Maralinga. Jessie, do you have a recommendation? I do, and it's a little bit cheery.
1: Yay! So when I was in New York years ago, I went to a comedy club and watched improv, and it was one of the funniest nights of my life, and I was sceptical because you're putting a lot of trust into people to make a funny show with absolutely no prep, right? Yeah. And it was one of the funniest, best, most impressive things I have ever, ever seen because they have to be so in the moment and so on the ball. And it was incredible. So I was sitting there last night and this thing popped up on my Netflix, which is called Middle Ditch and Schwartz. And it said it was an improv, like a three episode series of these two guys doing improv. You might recognize the Schwartz guy. He was in Parks and Rec. Um, He's got quite a recognizable face. He's been in a bunch of things. And the middle-ditch guy's been in a bunch of things I haven't seen. Anyway, I was like, I'm giving this five minutes. And I sat down with Luca and I said, improv is funnier than you think. Mm -hmm. And they start off by asking a member of the audience, is there something you're looking forward to or dreading? And they tell a story. And it might be, I've got a wedding coming up. There's a bit of conflict here. So-and-so's coming. So-and-so's not invited. Blah. And then they make a 45-minute improv show. out of that story. And it is laugh out loud funny. It is so skillful. You know when you just watch things and you think there is no world in which I would be able to do that and that's yeah. why it's so impressive. That's that why, makes me tense just thinking about oh, having to do that. It is it's, so good.
0: It's just like those athletes we were talking yes. about before, right? Like people who are really good at improv and yeah. it's, the, you know, the training ground for lots of amazing comedians and writers, but it's it's they're really at the top of their game. If yes. you can make that great. You're winning the gold medals. Exactly. So what is this?
1: Where is it? It's on Netflix and so there's three episodes. They're about an hour each and I think they were released like a year or so ago but they are laugh-out-loud funny. There are moments when they forget who they are or what someone's name (laughs) is, which is even funnier. Um, Really, really good. And you know what it's good for is bloody family viewing. Okay. With Shutter Island. Shutter Island? No.
0: Can't be better than Shutter Island. Later in the week, Mia, I am recommending some actual family viewing for the people in lockdown on school holidays. Because that I was listening to that on Friday and I was just like, Mia, God. what were you thinking? <laughs> <It's> Jesse's phone. <fault. laughs> that is all we have time for a Mama Mia out loud today. Thank you for listening. It was produced by Emma Gillespie. Our executive producer is Eliza Ratliff. And on tomorrow's daily drop, just for M-plus members. We're talking about something called Patriarchal Stress Disorder, and here's a little teaser.
1: And it's actually a new term that's been coined by a psychologist named Dr. Valerie Rain. She's like a women's mental health expert, and she's coined the term Patriarchy Stress Disorder. And it's a really interesting story as to how she came across it, because she was a practicing psychologist, and she kept having women come into her clinic and They were displaying signs of trauma, but she couldn't discover the event in their life that was responsible for it.
0: You can find out more about M Plus at mamamia.com.au forward slash M Plus. That's P-L-U-S. Until then, bye! bye! Bye!